0: Thank you. Potential and Possibilities, Discussions with Fascinating People, Designing a Better Tomorrow for All of Us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show, bringing you another really awesome guest today uh, involved in creating a better tomorrow. Uh, Today, we have the honor uh, of being joined by Michelle Katz, who is Senior Vice President of Nuclear Programs uh, at General Electric Hitachi, uh, located in Wilmington, North Carolina. And Michelle has over uh, 18 years of experience uh, demonstrated managerial and technical expertise in nuclear regulatory affairs uh, and is currently responsible for ensuring world-class quality, continuous improvement, regulatory affairs, and oversight uh, of environmental health and safety programs at the organization. Uh, She manages a a multimillion-dollar budget, uh, over a 30-member organization, And she's responsible for providing, amongst many things, licensing and quality leadership and guidance to support uh, nuclear fuel facility licensing, uh, their current nuclear fleet fuel reload and outage licensing activities, as well as new reactor and new fuel opportunities, uh, technical regulations and standards, as well as oversight of uh, General Electric Hitachi's uh, Velocitos and Morris sites, prior to joining Uh, the G.E. Hitachi organization, Michelle worked for the United States Nuclear Regulatory Commission, uh, where she held positions of increasing responsibility, uh, including starting as a a nuclear uh, reactor inspector stationed on site uh, at various nuclear power plants, moving up to a policy advisor to the presidential uh, appointed Nuclear Regulatory Commission chairman. Uh, She holds her bachelor's degree in nuclear engineering from uh, North Carolina State University, currently working, uh, graduating with her MBA in a couple of months, uh, and she's also, in, in addition to doing all that, she's also on the board of an uh, interesting organization called Smart Start of uh, New Hanover County, which is an organization uh, focusing on building bridges to develop, sustain, and enhance health, family support, and early education services for children uh, ages birth to five. A lot of interesting topics to get into uh, with her today. Uh, Michelle Katz, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's. Um, I, I really enjoyed reading about you, Michelle, and I, you know, I would I would love to start out the show as we typically do, just hearing a little bit more about you, um, a little bit about your background, everything from where you grew up, sort of when you caught the nuclear bug, it seems like quite early on. Take us into that early story, if you
1: would. Um, yes, yeah, so I actually grew up in Chicago, Illinois, and um, in fifth grade, I read a book, Marie um, Curie her biography. And she was forever my role model after that. It really changed and impacted my life. In sixth grade, I ended up moving from Chicago to North Carolina. It was a really stressful time in my life. And in sixth grade, I actually got a C in math. And so I thought I was bad at math. Um, What I realized over time is that I learned math differently than a lot of, than how it was taught. And so I had to teach myself math. And then I realized I'm good at math, but just in a different way than I thought. Um, Went to high school, graduated eighth in my class. Um, I was working at the time at a surf shop when I graduated. I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. Um, So I kept working at the surf shop. I didn't go to college right out of high high school. I took a year off. And during that time, I was picking up calculus books. And I was doing math in my spare time. And I said, you know what? I am in the wrong spot in my life. And I need need to go to college for math and for physics. Um, Really love math and physics. I started at UNCW here in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I realized that those come very easy to me. So I wanted something that not just, I didn't want to be a professor, I didn't want to teach, but I wanted to do something where I could actually use math and physics um, to create something. So, um, you know, that's really how I got into it. Um, by just reading that book back in fifth grade, it just really impacted my life.
0: That'll do it. I don't do it. And I, I could see you on the beach actually reading calculus books, too. So that's that. that that's kind <laughs> of that? cool.
1: Yeah,
0: there's that um, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting because, you know, I was looking again, sort of, you know, at your bio you, you know, you sort of you started. I, I'm sitting here in, in downtown Philadelphia, and I know you spent a, a little bit early on in your career at Exelon located here uh, in the region. And then you headed out. Uh, as initially this role as resident inspector uh, per mm-hmm. the uh, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission at the uh, Palo Verde Nuclear Generating Station. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because there was a, this article that was written in the Arizona Republic about you back in 2008, uh, entitled Day in the Life of a Nuclear Inspector. And, you know, there was, you know, there was the, that sort of that classic <laughs> uh, image from every nuclear power movie I've ever watched going back you know and it was the china syndrome back in the 1970s but there you were with your clipboard your hard hat and your flashlight and they say look uh go inspect this facility for the example the article you were like looking for leaks in the fuel uh, the diesel fuel tank to make sure that didn't break down um talk a little bit about those early days if you would because i can imagine sort of you know go inspect this nuclear power plant and make sure nothing's going wrong is you know a toll order <laughs> start off your career with that but take us through that if you would
1: yeah, so I did start at Exelon in the fuel design group. You know, graduating from nuclear engineering school, um, you know, went to move to Philadelphia area at first in the fuel design group, and then I went to work for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And you know, what a satisfying job! You you're out there every day making sure that the power plants are operating safely, so that they can provide that clean um, energy, you know, carbon-free energy, for for the, the world. Um, but, you know, really important job. But there is a really rigorous training process. You know, there's a two-year to your training process. You're not just sent out to to go inspect these reactors. And there's, you know, formal processes and procedures. Sure. But on a day-to-day basis, as a resident inspector, you are going into the plant every day, making sure that it's operating safely, making sure that you know the plant's following all the many rules and regulations of the the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Right? Nuclear is very heavily regulated. There's a lot of rules and regulations that each of the power plants have to follow. So, your job there as a resident inspector is to, you know, one, make sure that they're following all those rules and regulations. And then, if there's anything that happens, like um, any sort of issue or event, you know, you call, you're, you're called into the site and then you relay that information back to the NRC headquarters to escalate any issues that would be needed. So, really exciting job. Every day was different. Um, and living in the desert was such a neat change after living in Philadelphia. It was a pretty, pretty neat experience. <laughs>
0: Did you ever find people doing stupid things, um, in the facility, you know, stop smoking near the, you know, the <laughs> reactor, anything weird like that? To, to, no, you, can... <laughs> you
1: know, so nuclear, um, I, I think it's just a different animal, right? Nuclear yeah. is so heavily regulated and it's sure. got people that are so trained that you don't have those kind of things, right? This isn't a, a plant that, you know, it's, it's like having the police there all the time. So everybody's yeah. always on their best behavior. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Arizona, it was more of the wild animals I'd find, you know, there would be a mountain lion out by, you know, a pond or, you know, black widows or a rattlesnake in this building kind of thing than, than people issues.
0: <laughs> Wonderful.
1: Um, so,
0: yeah, so you you move on, to, you know, you, you spend, um, you know, quite a bit of time at the uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. You, you have these escalating responsibilities. You, you move on now to General Electric, Hitachi, and the you know the organization has this as you were just mentioning this this important mission of providing this carbon free power to the world. Um, both you know General Electric and Hitachi, you know the, the joint venture or the organization was formed back in two thousand and seven, I believe. But obviously GE and Hitachi go back you know a century each. Uh, GE, I guess maybe a, a little more familiar with here as being sort of a a nuclear power company that, you know, in the early days of nuclear got started. Uh, Hitachi, I guess more of us may be familiar, the, at least on the U.S. East Coast here, appliances mm-hmm. and stuff, but been in the, the energy business as well. Take us a little into the uh, the company itself, uh, a little bit about, you know, when when and why it was formed and, and a little bit about its mission.
1: Right. So GE Hitachi is the, the nuclear arm of, of GE, right? So okay. there's, that, you know, you've got the, the different organizations in GE, the one here in Wilmington is the nuclear division we also share the site with the aviation division but GE Wilmington has been here making fuel since the 1960s you know really been in the community for a long time and you know they design plants we you know for you know customers to build and then we provide the fuel we provide services for outages um, you know really the whole package for for these nuclear power plants um, and, you know, when I left the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, I, like you said, I, I'd done everything from resident inspector, the senior resident inspector up at Indian Point outside of New York City, mm-hmm. senior resident down in Wilmington or, you know, down here in North Carolina. Um, and then, you know, everything up to that policy advisor for the presidential appointed chairman. And, you know, from a nuclear en- engineering background, I really wanted to go out and, you know, I'd regulated, I'd, you know, seen, that I'd learned so much from that experience with the, the regulatory commission, but I really wanted to go out and build something, you know, be a part of a new project, something as a nuclear engineer that I could say, I was a part of this historic time period. So, you know, um, GE, like I said, we've been bu- building reactors for many, many years. They've been in the nuclear, I think they started working in nuclear physics in 1939. Yep. Um, it's been a, quite an adventure. But I really wanted to be a part of that, like the new the new builds, the new reactors. Um, you know, I used to walk those power plants and be so amazed and be like, who who did this? Who built this? This is history in the making. And now, you know, here we are in this clean energy revolution. And you know, we need nuclear nuclear power now. So, you know, being a part of that history is so exciting.
0: Absolutely. And and there's obviously several um, important pieces of of this portfolio. And I think just because of all the press it's been getting lately, I think a great place to start off um, would be the the BWRX300, the the small modular reactor, uh, water-cooled natural circulation, um, and, you know, has obviously – Safety benefits, cost benefits, because it's a lot smaller than anything well I've ever seen in the uh, in the reactor, and then the ability to to deploy these things. I think uh, there's been a couple press releases lately that you're working uh, with groups in uh, Canada and Estonia, uh, starting to get this technology out there. Take us through a little bit of sort of the the world of small uh, nuclear reactors, and sort of a little bit of the the history of how we've come from sort of the very large ones that I see, sort of. In the general area here to to where we're going today with the bwrx 300
1: Yeah so you know in general most of the nuclear reactors that are out there are these large reactors right? they're over a thousand megawatts electric but they do take a lot of capital up front to build and it takes a lot of time to build these reactors. You know you could end up in a situation where you're you know 10 to 15 years from the start of a project to actually having your reactor um, built and operational. What we realize over time is that people are looking not just for the big reactors but smaller reactors that they can place closer to cities and they want reactors that don't cost so much in startup costs yeah. uh, construction costs and then to um, you know, the time scale right the construction time needs to be a lot shorter like in, in the window of you know a presidential term four years or, or less or you know uh, the term of a CEO you need something that's a, a, a much smaller project that can be built a lot a lot more more quickly a lot more cost-effectively. So the Betarax 300 is the 10th generation of our boiling water reactor. So it's hence the X in the name. It's 300 megawatts electric. And we know that from making something smaller is, you can't just make it smaller and, and it will be cost-effective. You have to make it smaller and less expensive. Yep. So when, when you can look at the cost of building a power plant, it, you're looking at, it's really the concrete, the rebar and the is ex- the, the steel and excavation. They're your big costs. Um, you know, so it's you know, how much steel, how much concrete, and then how many pressure vessels you need to get the desired megawatts. So with our BRX 300, we simplified the, the boiling water reactor design. One of the things that we did was quite elegant was that we pulled the first, iso- the, you know, our breakthrough technology um, was our integral isolation valve. So we pulled that first isolation valve off of the reactor vessel and made it um, a, via a flange connection to the reactor vessel. And this simple change Made the plant a lot safer and allowed us to eliminate many of the pools of water that were needed. A lot of, eliminated a lot of the tanks, the pumps, and pipes. I'm a nuclear engineer by background, and I was like, "That's a fantastic idea." You know, why didn't I think of this? <laughs> um, but we have it patented. It's been approved by the nu- nuclear regulator, and uh, reducing all this equipment allows um, a reduction of greater than 50 percent of the volume, the building volume um, per megawatt, mm. and greater than 50 percent less concrete per megawatt than traditional reactors. Um,
0: the, the other, I mean, obviously there's, there's other things in the portfolio, but the, the other one that is clearly, um, a very popular theme nowadays, and, you know, you, uh, Edgy Hitachi right in the middle of it is, uh, is this molten salt um, mm-hmm. base reactor. And you also, in, in addition to the, uh, BWRX 300, you have the, the Natrium technology and are sort of, you know, leading, um the world in getting this uh sort of component of nuclear out there and here again I'll, I'll i'll let you speak to the safety benefits and uh uh to you know once again where we've come from old school designs to right. uh the molten salt theme which is mm-hmm. is quite exciting uh in many uh corners nowadays but talk a little <laughs> about natrium if you would
1: yeah so the natrium reactor is a demonstration project currently It's proposed to be the site of a retired coal plant in Wyoming. It's a collaboration between TerraPower and G We're bringing really the best ideas of each company into one reactor design. So it's a sodium fast reactor, 345 megawatts electric, and it has integrated energy storage and flexible power generation. So what it does is it uses liquid sodium cooled, um, like I said, it's a liquid sodium cooled fast reactor as a heat source with a metal oxide fuel then the mm-hmm. heat from the reactor is carried by molten salt from inside the nuclear island to heat storage tanks outside the reactor building there. It's utilized for um, you can use it for generating electricity or industrial processes. It's a great design because it can load follow. So which means that if, you know, it, if you need more electricity in the grid, it can store it and use it when you need more. And if you don't need as much electricity, say like when you have renewables, um, mm-hmm. you know, peak wind or peak solar, you can store that energy in that, in those storage tanks. And the energy storage solution um, to peak during when you need it. So it could peak, you know, from that three forty-five megawatts electric up to around five hundred megawatts electric, mm-hmm. um, which can be a power enough power for around four hundred thousand houses. Um, okay. So you know, it's a really exciting process. It is an advanced reactor, so you know that the demonstration is looking at being online in the early 2030s. Um, you know, so it's definitely got its benefits for you know what it can do compared mm-hmm. to, you know, the BetaRx300. So, um, the, the difference really in the Natrium reactor and the x 300 is that the BetaRx300 is a, a near-term deployment. It's, cool. it's not a revolutionary design. It's an evolution, you know, it's just um, an evolution of our reactors. It. So, it can be, um, you know, built and operational in a much faster time frame. We were looking at the early, like around 2028 20, for the mm-hmm. first one being commercially operational. So, the 300 is pretty exciting because, Um, You know, we are building, we've, um, we're working with our partner OPG, Ontario Power Generation in Canada, to build the first small modular reactor uh, in North America. This will be the first commercially operational small modular reactor in North America at their Darlington site. Very exciting to to be a part of that. Like I said, it's history, Um, you know, and, and then because of the momentum from having this first build going, um we've gotten a lot of other interest from other companies you know we're working with tva in in, in the united states to build mm-hmm. a, um, you know the only site that's permitted in the united in the united states for a nuclear reactor at the clinch river site um, for a small modular reactor you know obviously we've got you know you see the press releases we've got yep. um, you know a lot of interest with uh, poland you know um uh, okay. Orland Sunflow Energy, we're working with them to build, you know, bring reactors to Poland. You know, recently, Estonia, you know, Fermi Energia just made an announcement, they've selected our technology. So, yep. you know, a lot of momentum building around this. And like I said, the BDRX 300 will be our near term solution for the carbon issues, right? We, everybody's looking to decarbonize by 2050. Some areas yep. have carbon goals by 2035. You really need near term deployment of reactors um, to meet those carbon goals. And that's where you're going to get the BDRX 300. The advanced reactors, like the natrium will come a little bit later, we'll, but will okay. also provide really good benefits for energy storage solutions. Excellent, yeah, yeah. excellent. And, and
0: along the lines, I'm thinking. Obviously, uh Hitachi is a, a, a multinational company. You're you're located and headquartered here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And but you, you know you have projects everywhere. I, I you know I downloaded this really interesting. Um, uh, you were one of the experts. Um, uh, th- there's talking at this uh, science and technology committee at the House of Commons in the UK recently on, on delivering nuclear power. Uh, and this was uh, back in November 2022. Um, talk a little bit about because I mean, obviously, you you've got um aside from all the design stuff and engineering, you know, you have this responsibility to educate um the governments of the world on sort of Where we come from you know why we're going in these different directions um you know there's different countries out there that are have different excitement levels about nuclear (laughs) versus other uh countries um talk a little about your sort of uh government relations uh component of of your position here because i think it's kind of cool that you're you're in these sort of high-level meetings uh, giving evidence and, and expertise
1: yeah, I have to say my days are never boring, right? There's always something new and exciting um, when you're building you know, these first reactors. Like I said, we're making history building this first, um, first reactor. It'll be commercial operational in North America. Um, but my job is really not a U.S. job. It is, it is so much excitement around the world and so many different co- countries that we're going into. And what's, what's a little bit difficult about my job is that, you know, I'm in charge of licensing the reactors you know, around the world. So, you know, like I said, there's a lot of rules and regulations from each regulator. Each nuclear regulator at each country is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they have some standards, but a lot of times they regulate in a different, very different manner. So it's really important that, um, you know, we get our reactor design license to operate in each of the countries we are going into. So, for instance, sure. we start in Canada. We're working on um, the licensing process in the United States. You know, obviously we work with that customer and the customer does the licensing um, but then you go to other countries, which are a little bit um, a little bit different. So, for instance, you know, the U.S. and Canada have very mature nuclear regulators. Poland, um, one of the countries we're going into, you know, they've got a nuclear regulator, but they don't have any powered. They don't have any nuclear power plants that produce power. They have a test reactor. Yeah. So, you know, they're coming up to speed on what it's going to take to, um, you know, license a, a power reactor. Um, and then you have countries like Estonia that don't have any nuclear power at all yet. So they're gonna, stand, they're gonna work on standing up a regulatory body to be able to approve a license for a reactor. Um, so you have different levels of um, interactions in every country you go into. So for instance, the UK, there's a lot of nuclear um, already in the UK. But you know, when I was asked to speak in front of parliament, it was to talk about you know, where they could streamline their pre-licensing activities. And pre-licensing really is um, a lot of the work you do up front to reduce regulatory uncertainty when a license is submitted. So, for instance, in the U.K., you know, we've put in an entry application that says that we are going to enter the pre-licensing process in the U.K., the generic design assessment, the GDA. And we've done that in different countries. Right. Canada, we entered their pre-licensing process. The U.S., we've done the same thing. So every country is, you know, they all have these net zero carbon, you know, carbon goals, right, by 2050, 2035. And they realize that nuclear is going to have to be a part of the mix to get there. Everybody's electrifying everything. You've got all these electric cars and computers, and so energy demands are really increasing. And then you, you know, a lot of these places are trying to close their coal plants or shut down. You know, these things that are producing a lot of carbon. So not only do you have, you know, um, you've got to replace the current, you know, power that's already. Um, you got to replace the current power demands, but then you also have way more energy demands. So all these countries now that you know maybe not. Have considered nuclear in the past. Some of these other ones, um, you know, we've gotten interest, you know, from Australia and different, in different countries. Um, you know, they realize that nuclear is going to have to be a part of the mix. You know, obviously you sure. need the renewables, you need the wind, you need the solar, um, but you also need that reliable baseload power yep. with, such as nuclear to get there. Absolutely.
0: You know, you, you, before you mentioned, um, you know, one of the collaborations you had with the, um, I think it was uh, the, the Terra, power company. And I, uh, I, it was just, you know, I, I got thinking because I, I come out of the, uh, the pharmaceutical industry and we we also have a lot of regulations and very long timelines for our products to get to market. Uh, but the industry, you know, over time has, you know, shifted a lot towards the small biotech innovators where big pharma does a lot more marketing and uh, sort of the later developments and, and relies on sort of the biotech for the early stage stuff. Are you seeing a lot of, um, are you involved in a lot of, like, like Power, a lot of sort of uh, early stage innovation sort of, uh, whether it's venture capital or investments in sort of younger technologies, whether they may be startups or some of these other energy tech companies that are on the horizon. Do you do a lot of that sort of prospecting for sort of the technologies of, uh, you know, looking out the 15, the 20 years out there that may be uh, the next step beyond some of these these tools that you working with?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. And you know, some of the things we're doing now do involve these, you know, different startup processes. So, for instance, how do you take a nuclear power plant like a Natrium or BWR-300 and use it for, you know, for instance, in um, the Czech Republic, they're looking at using it for district heating. It's not something we use in the U.S., but it's something that's really important there—the steam yeah. to create, um, you know, for use for district heating. Then yeah. you have places like in the U.S. where the um, companies want to use a nuclear reactor to power their data centers. Um, for you know, you have all these different. Um, you know, huge data centers that draw a lot of power oh, yeah. um, then you've got other companies that you know make steel and they need a they were looking at a nuclear power plant a small modular reactor to um, you know to power their processes so I think with the small small modular reactors you can use them for uh, a lot of different purposes than just you know the big reactors which were just to create electricity so there's a lot of new things out there and you know there's things that we're looking at like AI and how that could be used in nuclear power. Um, you know, so a lot of different applications, you know, compared to the the traditional big power plants that only produce electricity. And we work at those, you know, those are come up all the time, different opportunities and even things like space, you know, using, um, you know, a small modular reactor to power a spaceship to go to Mars because you can't, you know, you can't use traditional fuel. So a lot of these different opportunities are all things that we're looking at and working on.
0: I, I love I love those uh, those all types of alternatives. and it must make your day, as you were saying, very interesting when you <laughs> when you get called for projects like that. But that no, that right. that's extremely exciting.
1: I mean, like um, the, the space one is um, is interesting because you know my son he wants to go to Mars. He's ten years old, and he wants to be the first doesn't. person. to like, oh, That would be pretty neat. So he was pretty excited when he heard that he's working on a potential take, project take, to go to Mars.
0: <laughs> take take mom's. Uh, power system with me. That's (laughs) cool. (laughs) Uh, But but speaking of kids, um, so uh, yeah, I have three myself, and you know, uh, one's into biology and and medicine, Mm -hmm. and the other's into marketing and business. But I got a third, and he was bitten by the nuclear bug uh, Mm -hmm. very early. Uh, You know, was given presentations about what went wrong at chernobyl in the second grade and everyone was staring at him like he was nuts. <laughs> uh he joined a nuclear advocacy group um a couple of years ago and he gave a presentation to their whole team on, on molten salt reactors so he's 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 sold uh that being said um projects programs advocacy for that next generation um anything going on in terms of how we increase the excitement level, obviously you're doing a lot of the work, the level of the governments and, and sort of the large organizations, but for that next generation of STEM thought leaders that are coming along that we want, interested in te- in, in, in these fusion te- technology, fusion technologies, whatever, encompasses the nuclear pie uh, 20 years out, 20, you know, 30 years out. What, what's going on there in terms of GE, Hitachi? Actually- yeah, so, you
1: know, GE is, is very, um, we do a lot in the local communities. Mm-hmm. you know, we do a lot of outreaches at universities. We go to a lot of career fairs, but in general, you know, there's a lot going on broader in the nuclear industry to, to bring more people in because right now, you know, we're at a shortage of people. Um, you know, all this, you have a small group of a small pool of people um, that are all, you know, you need them for the regulators. You need them for the vendor that's built, you know, designing the plant you need it for the utilities that are going to be operating and building the plants. Yep. Um, so you have a very small group of people for a very big demand right now. Um, so there's a lot of things going on. Like for instance, the um, Nuclear Energy Institute, NEI, they've got different programs to try to um, bring in more, more people, get more people interested at a college um, into the nuclear business. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if, let me give you an example. So BDREX 300, cool. uh, if, if we need to meet the net zero carbon goals by 2050, if you say that nuclear make up 25% of that, so that means we would need to add about 1,000 gigawatts of electricity to the grid by 2050. Okay. If you only did BetaRx 300s, which is, you know, obviously there will be other things, but if mm-hmm. you only did that, you're looking at building over 3,333 or something like that, um, BetaRx 300s over okay. the next, or around the world, over the next, you know, 20 years. That's 166 a year. So think about all the people you would need, just welders, you know, people doing just the construction, Um everybody in all these different organizations are, you know, we're going to need more people. We're going to need more pipelines of people. And this is definitely challenging. And, you know, our, in the U S it's challenging elsewhere too. Like for instance, in Poland, Um, not only do they have to, you know, come out with a technical, technical degree, they have to be able to be fluent and speak Polish and write Polish um, because all of the submittals to the regulator have to be in Polish. So, you know, definitely um, we are working on pipelines of, of people. And I really think we're going to have to start some college programs. Uh, you know, obviously we do internships and things like that, but I think we're have to do it on a much bigger scale uh, mm-hmm. to really be able to, you know, um, work through all these projects that are coming down the line in the very near term.
0: What, um, you know, obviously safety uh, is a key component um, towards everything uh, that you do um, in, in, in Gigi Hitachi business, obviously, you learn safety per the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Um, when it comes to, I guess, you know, being a, a multinational company, and I'm, I'm thinking to the um, the episode I just did a couple months ago with um, uh, Lydia Everard from the uh, International Atomic Energy uh, mm-hmm. Administration. She's, you know, in t- charge of nuclear safety and security there. And she, unfortunately, uh, amongst her responsibilities, has to go and say, hey, guys, you know, don't shoot! Don't have the war around these nuclear facilities, please. Because um, this is my responsibility. Make sure nothing goes wrong here. Um, in terms of external safety issues that you have to think about in your day to day, whether it's you know, hey, should we build the the reactor here on whatever this fault line, or right. if there's a conflict going? Does that stuff filter in a lot? I mean, you get these responsibilities lumped onto your desk. Also, <laughs> we got to think about these. External problems as well uh, in 2023. Yeah. You know, so
1: the reactors that are being designed now, for instance, the BDRX 300, it really incorporates security by design a lot more. So a lot of it is underground. Got it. You know, and in, in ways that, um, you know, it's it's more of a, you could have, you know, the reactor a, an issue could happen and you wouldn't need any operator to do any actions for seven days. So you have seven days before any actions would be needed. Um, so the, the reactor designs are definitely evolving over time. Um, you know, with the, the when I worked at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, it was really important that the reactors operated safely. You know, the power plants that are out there right now, they are extremely safe. They are designed against, you know, worst case, you know, your floods, your earthquakes, your attack by adversary groups, you know, they are designed to protect against all those things. Um, the new reactors, though, they also are designed for that, but they also have additional design features, like I said, being built underground or, um, you know, different ways of protection. I can't you know, talk about all of them, but, um, of you know, definitely something that's factored in, you know, for worst-case environmental conditions as well as worst-case, you know, um, adversary attacks. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Good to know. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, Michelle, I, I've done... um a couple episodes with uh, this group from the uh, the EU that's sort of overseeing the fusion activities over there uh, called Eurofusion. And I, I was just wondering, you know, how does in the world of nuclear sciences and, and energy, how does how do the fission and fusion worlds get along nowadays? Are you, are you friends? Are they, how do you view one another? Um, and I know, obviously, very different set of technologies. Mm-hmm. different <laughs> different time, time scale and, 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 and investment requirements, but um, anything interesting there you could talk about?
1: No. So, you know, I'm a nuclear engineer, by background. Right? So I, I was actually looking at going into doing my master's in fusion. Okay. So, you know, fusion, if you're a nuclear person, fission and fusion, it's just two different timelines. You know, fission right. is you now is something that's, you know, proven. We've been doing it for a long time. And fusion is the way to the future. You know, you need people working on both. Sure. So it's, they work fine together. Like everybody's, you know, there's no issues or anything between the groups. However, um, we don't interact a whole lot, you know, um, because they're, they're, they would have a different regulatory structure. They would have a different, um, you know, design. It's very different groups altogether. So very little interaction, but I mean, obviously I think fusion is, you know, something that needs people to work on it because it definitely is the energy source of the future, I think.
0: Um, Michelle, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, I mentioned, obviously, you, you have such broad responsibilities, but you also take time for, for other uh, interests. Talk a little bit about what uh, the Smart Start of uh, New Hanover, Hanover County is all about and your involvement there.
1: Yeah. So Smart Start, is it's a really great initiative in, in New Hanover County. Um, it's, you know, basically, the, you know, once kids get into school in kindergarten, they have all sorts of resources, you know, food, help with, you know, I mean, um, you know, your learning disabilities. You know, they've got all the resources they need once they start school. But there's that time from the time they're born until they t- until they start school, where a lot of them need, you know, extra help, whether it's learning things, um, you know, different teachers. So this uh, this group, what they do is, you know, it's a uh, Smart Start New Hanover County, is that they determine what the needs are, the different organizations that provide the resources for the kids from from birth to to, to first grade or the kindergarten. And, you know, they make sure that they match those resources with the need. So um, every year we do different fundraisers to raise money for um, the different groups that we're supporting, the different teachers, the different opportunities. And, um, you know, a lot of times during these fundraisers, we get people in that have actually experienced, you know, um, the help of Smart Start and how it changed their life and changed their child's life. So a really great opportunity to to help those kids until they hit that kindergarten timeframe when they can get all the help from the school system
0: excellent really excellent um so what else is coming up for 2023 and I, I know you know you've, you've you've been involved in the uh the work with the the Parliament um obviously you obviously have a lot of projects on the table any anything else in terms of public facing uh initiatives uh conferences you're going to be presenting at uh talks you're going to be giving anything focused you know specifically on the public and 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 st- further spreading of of the nuclear uh, theme and and sort of this carbon-free future.
1: Yeah. So the fun thing about my job is that, um, you know, there's all these different opportunities that come up. The UK parliament speaking in front of them, that was a surprise, right? So it was pretty exciting. The UK, um, I I really think that that's going to be ramping up very quickly this year for us. Uh, We've put in for um, our request for funding through that process. And we're looking at entering, uh, you know, so that pre-application process. So you know, we're hiring. We've got hiring positions. I've posted positions down in the UK. Um, so, we're, you know, th- things are really going to ramp up there. I'll be over there at some point in time um, speaking as well. Uh, other areas that are ramping up, obviously Poland. We're, we're starting their process there. We're hiring there like crazy. So if you know any uh, Polish-speaking nuclear engineers, <laughs> <you> know. <laughs> I'll get um, the word out. Right. Estonia, you know with their announcement, you know we expect some work to ramp up there as well. Um, and, and that one's a little bit more um, interesting because like I said, they don't have the nuclear regulator in okay. place. So uh, and it will be a lot of you know we'll be a lot of providing a lot more support than we would for, for instance, um, a Tennessee Valley Authority or an Ontario power generation that already have um, you know nuclear background, uh, have nuclear regulators. So you know a lot going on there. Um, you know, there's definitely so much interest around the world. Our reactor is gaining so much momentum that, you know, every week we get new companies coming in saying, you know, what is the BDirect 300? How can we find out more about it? How can we get in line to, to get one? So every week is, you know, some some new surprise. Um, so, you know, obviously, like I said, I for sure, have a lot of travel plans coming up, but we'll see how, that, uh, how the, the year pans out. Awesome. well
0: we we will be continuing to follow you and uh, and, and everything you have going on there because it's just uh it's such an exciting position role that you're in now and 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 bringing these new technologies uh to the fore and um you know as you as you were mentioning that the, the future is carbon free and nuclear is such an important piece of that so really wishing you the best with all that and there's one final question I I uh my, my son wanted me to ask you <laughs> while I had you. Um, do you ever, after a long day at work, uh, do you ever come home and you know, after having dinner and, and hang out with your family? If there's anything nuclear themed ever, whether it's a miniseries or a documentary or a movie, do you ever watch it or do you just change the channel? Is that, <laughs> do you get oh. no excitement from any of that stuff?
1: <laughs> no, I do. I, I do like to watch it. Um, but you you realize a lot of it is, you um, is propaganda or not sure. technically correct, you know? So for instance, you'll watch something and be like, that doesn't even make sense. Um, right. So I, I do watch, you know, the different nuclear programs, the different movies that are out there. I think that, you know, some of them are kind of funny, um, but, you know, generally I try to do things that are not nuclear related. Like I, you know, I'm learning guitar right now and drums. And <laughs> there you go. Things that yeah. are, that use the right brain, you know, the side, other oh, yeah. side of my brain than, than work can't
0: forget about that not extremely (laughs) important (laughs) no real really great stuff michelle i i i appreciate you uh you taking us through this uh this journey that you've been on and realize that wishing you the best with it um again for for everybody that's going to be listening to this particular uh, episode of our show across the various podcast networks or watching on the youtube channel again you've been listening to michelle katz Senior Vice President, Nuclear Program to General Electric Hitachi. Uh, Michelle, again, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come talk and educate us for a little while. Thank you, obviously, for what you do. And as we say on our show here, uh, thank you for helping to create a better tomorrow through the technologies that you're bringing out. A Really great story.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity today. Great talking to you.